Hey everybody, welcome to the Broken Shovel Podcast, Homesteading for a Sustainable Future. My name is Lucas, and as always, I am joined by my friend and co-host, Eric. Yep, yep, he knows his name. (laughs) Today we are talking about wolves, uh, their history in the United States from near extinction to restoration, and their future as a species... Uh, And, and of course, how they launched a new species along with coyotes. Uh, Hi, Eric. How you doing? I am. Well, it's a wet and dreary day out. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of is. But uh, we've got staring at a computer screen to get us through it. Let's talk about wolves. (laughs) Well, take it away. You really did the the work on the history of wolves in the United States and... uh, and the uh, really uh, the history, uh, yeah, history of wolves in the United States, with then a kind of narrowed down on uh, Yellowstone. Uh, so prior to uh, hunting and the ba- the wolf bounties and the uh, basically husbandry, trying to force, trying to eliminate the herd because the wolves were very were well, land was cleared for grazing and farmland and ag uses, which reduces the hunting territory of wolves, causing them to attack domestic stock for their food source, uh, which then made them targeted by humans. Um, I mean, bears, cougars, and coyotes were also targeted, but wolves were the big one that uh, it was nearly hunted to to extinction. Um, So at their peak, there were estimated of... 250,000 to 500,000 wolves in the United States from coast to almost coast. Actually, it's kind of interesting. They believe that it's only the coastal part of California was the only portion of the United States that did not have a wolf population prior to being hunted. Oh, wow. You know, and I'm just, you know, coming off of what you said, I'm for some reason as a grown adult just realizing the vilification of wolves in popular culture over the years, you know, even to, to the, you know, Little Red Riding Hood, I'm just like, oh, well, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, think of, of, of uh, the, the, uh, the, the wolf and the dog from uh, the Warner Brothers cartoons. Oh, oh, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, the sheep, the sheep dog and Wiley Coyote's other... When he's not chasing roadrunners, he's trying to steal sheep from the sheepdog. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I'd never really thought about that. But anyway, you have yes. actual information. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so by the um, by the mid-1900s, uh, wolves were nearly e- eliminated from the entire continental U.S. Um, and then driving down into specifically Yellowstone, uh, by the 70s, there were no, there was no wolves whatsoever in the park. There were some occasional spottings of a canine-like animal that would wander on the edges of the park that were seen, but there were no actual like breeding population of wolves in the park. Um, and not until '95 uh, was there any wolves in the park. And then '95 was the first. The first attempts at reintroducing gray wolves, or uh, native gray wolves from Canada, uh, that were reintroduced into Yellowstone. Um, ten more were relocated from Montana. 
Um, and the 80s, are, and then they saw it, and, and going off of that, Montana actually saw its breeding pairs increase. Um, they actually, the first wolves that came back into the U.S. came in to Montana from Canada and started reestablishing up in that, that region. Wow. So, uh, and this is all in the span of the 90s. The 90s was such a, a an amazing decade uh, for conservation and everything. It really was, and it's unfortunate that what's happened the last 10 years has undone a number of the work that was done during the 90s and ox. Yeah. Uh, so then what? And then, so um, then by 2017, they, uh, wolves have... Well, I've rebounded enough. Um, there's only about 4,000 uh, breeding breeding pairs out there. Uh, so still nowhere near the numbers. But those numbers are high enough that at least in Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana, they have been removed from the endangered species list. That's just such great news. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, there's still Sarah Palin's and helicopters uh, shooting AR-15s at them. Uh, yeah, but... it's, yeah, I, yeah, it's, like, I do, I like hunting when it, I mean, I, I don't, I don't like hunting, because there's just too much game hunt, or sport hunting going on. Right. And, enough. and I mean, still, like, even to this day, they are, they are, if they are, con like, coyotes, at least, if they are considered a threat to your livestock, it, there is literally open season on them. Right. Yeah, uh, but it's it's yeah hunting for sport. I think we've come we've both come pretty much against. But uh, yeah. I I couldn't help a dated reference uh, of Sarah Palin. So yes, uh. um, yeah. So the the, the the bigger story out of the wolves being reintroduced into Yellowstone is the uh, cascading ecological effects it had on all the other species and habitats in the park. Um, so the first one is that, so beavers, there was an, in 95, before the wolves were brought back in, there was one colony of beavers in the entire Yellowstone park where nine, where today there are nine packs or colonies of beavers. And, um, the reason for that is, is that when there were no wolves in the park, the elk population boomed. The elk, also, the elk population became much, much less um, migrant. They would uh, burrow, as they called, burrow down into the willin, aspen, and cottonwood groves um, and def decimate that. And willows are one of the major food sources for beavers for, build yeah. for building and, and whatnot. So when the wolves came back, um, they immediately started attacking the the elk population, uh, only minorly reducing the uh, the overall herd population. But what it actually did is caused the elk to become migratory again, and also broke the massive herds up into smaller herds that were much more mobile and moved around move around a lot more, which allowed restor restoration of habitat of the beavers, which allowed restoration of Wetlands, which has now allowed other species to start coming back into the park. Yay, biodiversity. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and another that's one amazing. Is, yeah, and another one is the uh, coyotes were actually driven 
driven out of the park by the um, by the wolves because coyotes are actually an invasive species. Yes, and we're going to get and, a little bit into that. <laughs> yeah, and then so uh, with with the coyotes being taken out of the picture, other um, small predators, rodents, and birds of prey were also allowed to flourish more. Um, the and and then the other one is a uh, grizzlies and and ravens ironically uh benefited because the uh wolves would would kill bison and elk and then leave part of the kills there and as uh, maybe people don't don't know this um i the, but grizzlies are um they are eaters of convenience Yes. And very much they are a scavenger species. Like, yeah, you always see the pretty pictures of them eating salmon. It's like, well, it's because the salmon are literally like walk across the water can catch salmon. It's yeah. food for them. Uh, most of the time they're actually eating uh, what they can scavenge off other animals' kills. Yeah. Yep, they are opportunists, uh, yep. which we see in, uh, you know, going after campers foods tra- dumpsters everything else yep. uh, but yeah they they are not picky eaters yes not they are not at all and then yeah and then going kind of drilling a little zooming back out again um across the country uh the the original some of those first conservation efforts were done in the 70s in Wisconsin and Minnesota, which was only, which had the only remaining breeding population of wolves after the big ex, with the extinction. Wow. And, okay. Um, yep. And then the uh, and then in the mid 80s, uh, the red wolves were introduced into North Carolina and. Um, the difference with the red wolves, and I'm, I'm wondering if this is like why that population is struggling to take off, is um, the red wolves came from a captive breeding program. And it's really like, like if you look at the map of uh, how the wolf populations have come along uh, over the last 10, 15 years, the, the red wolves have stayed in a very specific spot in North Carolina, have not expanded outward. And I'm wondering if that is partially due to the fact that they were a captive breeding group, whereas the ones in Yellowstone and Montana, which have expanded and increased their territory on their own, came from. They were reintroduced from other areas, but they were already wild, wild wolves to begin with. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's very likely. I, I can't say I really know uh, <laughs> much of anything at all about red wolves, but. Yeah. Um, uh, but gray wolves are, you know, I mean, it's it's pretty pretty easy to draw that same conclusion that you know a wild animal is going to do better in the yep. wild than a, uh, a I don't want to say domesticated but bred in captivity. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're, uh, when you're stuck on an acre of land for your whole life. Like you really aren't prepared for the wild. Yeah. So that may take generations of, yep. uh, uh, of reacclimating to the area. Yep. Um, yeah. Wolves. Yep. And then, yeah. So now we have, uh, they're now found in 13 States today. Oh, that's fantastic. And mostly like Northern States, correct? Northern States. Um, a little bit, because uh, there also there's efforts done in Mexico as well because they're they're trying to get the Mexican gray wolf uh, populations back up as well because th- that was a that was cut, hunted to extinction as well. Okay. Poor wolves. Yeah, poor wolves. They they were 
they were very much a victim of um, uh, capitalism and colonialism, which we that's another topic that would be great to talk about <laughs> is uh, the effect of colonialism and uh, and uh, and bleh, capitalism on the environment and kind of how it got us into the position we're in today. Yeah, and that could all start with logging. We could do a series on that. Well, that's uh, a good idea. This, folks, is how the show is written. Uh, <laughs> we yes, start talking. We, yeah, we, we come up with Although, that, uh, unlike previous times, I'm actually writing down the ideas. Me too. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, the hint there is that we kind of forget sometimes our ideas. Yes. Yeah. We just have so many great ones. It's yeah. easy to forget them. Yeah. Uh, not for other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, is that pretty much, is that where we're at? That's with wolves. wolves. That's wolves. Okay. Let's go to the, uh, the crossbreed. Yeah. I kind of, this is a parallel timeline to what Eric's been talking about with wolves. Uh, especially, well, primarily gray wolves. Uh, like I said, I don't, you know, diddly squat about red wolves. Um, but, uh, yeah, koi wolves, uh, which is a hybrid of coyotes and gray wolves. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, and it has like a kind of a complicated history as well. Uh, so coyotes are, um, uh, the whole, the, well, let's say koi wolves is because of the changing landscape of the United States, uh, from deforestation and, and, uh, you know, uh, human population growth and things like that. Uh, coyotes, which are native to the American Southwest began expanding their range eastward in the early 1800s, uh, because of habitat fragmentation and the decline of wolf populations. So they weren't. You know, like what Eric talked about, the coyotes being chased out of uh, Yellowstone, the exact opposite was happening in the early 1800s. Uh, so uh, brought coyotes into contact with eastern gray wolves, which had historically inhabited these areas. So the koi wolf emerges in the 19th century. So the the koi wolf, the, uh, the co I'm tripping over coyote, kai wolf and wolf. Um <laughs> So hybridization between coyotes and wolves began as early as the 19th century in the Great Lakes region. This hybrid zone, where the two species interbred, expanded over time, gradually pushing the range of eastern gray wolves further northward. Um, so, and there was a number of factors that contributed to the, the koi wolf evolution. Uh, the decreased wolf population, which Eric has been talking about, uh, intense hunting and habitat loss, led to a decline in wolf populations in the eastern United States. This reduced the uh, number of wolf mates, making it more likely for coyotes to interbreed with wolves. Uh, coyotes are extremely adaptable. Um, they're able to thrive in a variety of habitats, including human-altered landscapes, uh, th so suburbs uh, and, and, you know, the like. Uh, this adaptability gave them an edge in the expanding coyote population. Uh, and then I love this, this term. I think this would be a great band name, hybrid vigor. Uh, the offspring of coyote wolf pairings like mutts, uh, like we see in our, our domesticated dogs, uh, exhibit hybrid vigor, a phenomenon where hybrids are healthier and more vigorous than their purebred parents. And this helped the koi wolf to thrive. Um, 
recent history, coywolves have, have been expanding their range uh, throughout eastern North America from Canada to Virginia. They are now the dominant wild canid species in this region. Which, uh, I, the dominant canid, which yeah. is just absolutely bananas to me. Um, now, the, the impact on ecosystems by koi wolves uh, has played a pretty big role in shaping the ecosystem of eastern North America. Their diet includes a variety of rodents, rabbits, deer, and even domestic livestock. They've been observed scavenging on human food sources. Uh, uh, availability, opportunity, they are not picky eaters. Um, now, <laughs> There's conservation concerns now. The hybridization between coyotes and wolves has raised concerns among conservationists as it could potentially erode the genetic integrity of wolf populations. Uh, some studies suggest that coy wolves may be may play a beneficial role in the ecosystems, you know, controlling rodents and other prey species, but it's this erasure of of the wolf genetic code that that a lot of people are really worried about yeah it's really ironic they say <clears> that when I, like we when, when out of yellowstone where when the coyotes were reduced we saw small a increase in small rodent populations that were that were not seen like because i mean we don't see ferrets or weasels or minks or the like around as much anymore because and they, those are the small rodents that these the coyotes are hunting. And I'd also be curious if, like, if koi wolves, uh, if they actively take down bigger game like elk or bison, like the wolves will do. Yeah, well, it, the the it's a complex issue, koi wolves. Nobody really knows what is what to expect. Uh, you know, they are going to continue to expand their territory. Uh, they are again easily adaptable uh they have no problem with humans being nearby um there's just no no really telling what is going to happen as they continue to grow um and there's i i've got a list of positive impacts potentially positive and potentially negative so i mean like we said they prey on rodents and other pests small rabbits small mammals I don't really see that as a positive when we're talking about rabbits and things like that. We need this underbrush now, population. Went to New York City and went in the sewers. That's yes. a different story. We should release coyotes in the sewers of New York City. Um, <laughs> now, habitat diversification is another potential positive. Are you still picturing the movie? Uh, yes. <laughs> koi wolves can occupy a wider range of habitats than either coyotes or wolves, uh, which can help maintain biodiversity by preventing the over-specialization of these species. Mm. So it, by expanding, they could create more biodiversity, but we just don't know because this is happening in real time. Yeah. Uh, another positive potential is uh, adaptation to human altered landscapes. Koi wolves are well adapted to human altered landscapes, including suburban and urban areas, which can help maintain their population and ensure their role in the ecosystem. But again, we do not know what their role in the ecosystem truly is at this point, other than they are spreading and they are increasing their population. Um, negative, uh, they prey on domestic livestock. 
They've been known to prey on domestic livestock like chickens, goats, sheep. Uh, and this can be a significant economic burden uh, for, for a business or really just impact a, a small homesteader uh, by wiping out their meals for weeks, if not months, uh, all in one evening. Um, they're interbreeding with other canid species. Uh, they can... Uh, <clears throat> they can interbreed with do domestic dogs now, uh, which can lead to the spread of diseases and genetic disorders. So <laughs> that's a little, yeah. it's a little and scary. Wild and wild dogs are a major problem because unlike, uh, unlike koi dogs, wolves, and coyotes, uh, those three are like, while they'll go into human areas, they're still afraid of humans. Right. Wild dogs are not afraid of humans. Not at uh, all. And not at all. And then th having koi dogs breed with wild dogs is that's that just sounds like a bad time. That sounds like it's it, we're gonna have we're eventually gonna have packs of wild roaming canid species that <laughs> take out humans. Yes, uh, there are also some studies which kind of contradict what we've seen in Yellowstone. Um, but uh, some studies have shown that koi wolf presence can lead to declines in wolf populations. Uh, and, and, and that's not necessarily by being a predator. Uh, it's, it's more about interbreeding. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, so, you know, kind of overall, the impact of koi wolves on the environment is likely to be a mix of both positive and negative. Uh, much more research is needed to fully understand their role in the ecosystem. Uh, and to develop management strategies that can maximize the benefits while minimizing the risks. Uh, some scientists believe that there are beneficial species that play a vital role, that they are a beneficial species that plays a vital role in the ecosystem, while others believe they pose a threat to native wildlife. Uh, it, it, this is just a matter of research. This is a matter of science happening in, in, in real time. And, uh, you know, this hybridization, while it started in the 19th century, uh, is still... Um, we still haven't seen the full effects of, you know, over 200 years of, of uh, basically just interbreeding between two wild species. Yeah. So I, 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 I really don't know which side of the fence I land on with koi wolves. Um, I think, you know, uh, as, as a homesteader, I, I don't want any large prey uh, uh, near me. You know, I'm, I'm okay. I'll see coyotes come through the, the, you know, the back three or four acres every once in a while. Um, but, you know, as we talk about expanding, uh, you know, what animals we have and things like that, the thought of koi wolves and wolves and, and things like that uh, can really, really impact uh, my entire life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, I fall on the, we've, We've messed with nature too much because of our personal needs as mm -hmm. humans, and and for me, it's that no, like these 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 are species that are trying to recover, and if they if they come into our territory, it's our it's our fault for encroaching on theirs first. It's like the it's like when you hear about the cougars in the. Uh, the burbs of LA and it's like yeah you built your McMansion in their backyard yeah what do you expect exactly. it's like I, 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 it's 
So, I mean, I'm, I'm usually, I tend to fall on the side of pro-animal, predator, or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not anti-animal, obviously. Uh, yeah. But I, I do see the concern about having that population in and around agricultural areas, yeah. um, you know, where, where people's uh, very life depends on uh, having 20 chickens, um, yeah. you know. So it's it's uh, the science is out on this. It's it's not it's not readily available. These studies are all too young, um, but. They do carry a villain status, uh, just like wolves. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you'll see these news stories about koi wolves, and uh, it's. Um, I worry that they're going to start trying to cull them, uh, but we should be allowed in some ways to protect ourselves from them if necessary. Oh, absolutely, like I, I agree with that. That like as a homes as a fellow homesteader, who has lost his flock of chickens to uh predation in the past yeah um i am all about protecting the homestead from encroaching species i am just against actively going after the population as a preventative measure of protecting my herd or flock yeah i think we're saying the same thing in two different ways here uh, yes, uh exactly. yeah yes. so uh largely we agree and you should agree with us because we're always right Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Wolves are good. Wolves are good. Coyotes are good. Uh, it's it, it. It always comes back to biodiversity and how biodiversity yep. is kind of the only thing we have left. Mm -hmm. We have lost the carbon neutrality battle. We are are actively losing. I will say, um, but you know, uh, we can if we can encourage biodiversity, we can recover some amount of time on this planet i imagine uh so you know think about it you know zoom out uh, like eric said earlier we like to zoom out here uh and let's yeah, just zoom out and zooming in is what we do and yeah there's like think about the cascade like the cascading effects that the reduction of alpha predators has on the rest of the food chain right uh, and we are not an alpha. We are not an alpha predator. We are a. We're more of a scavenger. Yeah, yeah. We're an opportunist. Yep. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's just one of those things. Uh, and we talk. We dig into this. If you look back in our feed at our hunting episode uh, in uh, early to mid November, uh, mm -hmm. you will see. Uh, we talk about a lot of this. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you. It, it does cross a lot of paths and uh, really is is very eye opening to think about you know, the human impact has had, you know, Eric and I just talked about 250 years mm -hmm. of, of near extinction to now this dramatic hybridization. Yep. It's, it's, this is, this is all human factors. And, uh, yep. so I'll get off my high horse. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add, Eric? Nope. Well, we like wolves. We like wolves. We like animals. Um, yep. Uh, all animals, big and small, except for those yeah. ticks. Uh, it's, it's bad. <laughs> somebody breed a wolf that eats nothing but ticks. Yes. Uh, <laughs> or, a, or a guinea hen that's not stupid. Because guinea hens are great at eating ticks, but they are the stupidest flock bird ever. <laughs> they will sit in the middle of the road and yes. just like 
They'll just sit there. Like, the chickens are smart enough to stay to the edges, and, like, they'll cross the road and stay across. Like, they don't go sit in the middle of the road. No, guineas, they'll yeah. fall asleep in the middle of the road. <laughs> and they're kind of noisy, too. They're, they're noisy, they're mean. Like, my dad had a guinea, and, like, it would get on, t like, the very peak of the coop. And like and, and just like just whatever the noise that they make, yeah. just like my God, that thing is annoying. And then it would jump down and chase the rooster and beat up the rooster because the guinea <laughs> liked to beat up the rooster. <laughs> you should have put a wolf in the coop. Would have yeah. ended that real quick. Uh, all right. Well, I think that about does it for our conversation on wolves and koi wolves. Um, you can join the conversation. Uh, you can email us, brokenshovel802 at gmail.com. I am on TikTok at Broken Shovel Farm, uh, always talking about fun stuff. And uh, if you're so inclined and you are familiar uh, with handmade brooms, check out brokenshovel802.com. Uh, my wife and I uh, make brooms and sell them. And uh, yay! Yay! <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Eric. Uh, that was that was uh, that was a good. Uh, I, I I learned a lot, and now I need to look up red wolves. Yes, because <laughs> they are a native species. I got to look into this. I don't know anything about it. So, yeah. well, thank you, Eric. As always, bye. Later.